everyone to episode 169 of the Jesus Famous Podcast. We exist to see Jesus honored, glorified, loved, esteemed, appreciated, adored, revered, and followed Jesus Famous in your everyday life. I'm Nate Holdridge, your host today and pastor at Calvary Monterey on the California Central Coast. I preach about Jesus Famous on Sundays, but like to write and podcast about Jesus Famous during the week at nateholdridge.com. And our show consists of interviews, discussions, and stories that we think will help propel you further into an appreciation of Jesus. And on today's episode, I'm going to do something a little bit different in that I'm going to give a talk about ministry and marriage. Uh, This teaching will be mostly applicable to those who are serving the Lord in the context of the local church or on the mission field in some capacity who are also secondarily married and they want to do marriage well in the furnace that can sometimes be local church ministry. So if that describes you, I think you're going to be greatly edified by this episode. If you're a married person, I think you'll also be edified by this content for sure. Uh, But just know that as I'm going through it, I want to specifically think about those who are Uh, in ministry and uh, help them in their married lives. Part of the reason that this is on my heart is because this is an important subject for those in ministry and people in ministry are important to the body of Christ. Um, And so often when a marriage falls apart, the fallout of a ministry marriage falling apart or just being quietly unhealthy over the years It has such negative effects on so many people. So it's important for us to figure out how to do it well and how to do it right. So I look forward to talking about that in just a minute. I wanted to remind all of you listening that you can pick up various books that I've I've written on Amazon or wherever you buy books and would also encourage you if you haven't yet to sign up for my regular newsletter where whenever I write something new as far as blog posts go uh, you can get it in your email inbox you could just go to nateholdridge.com slash subscribe to get that all right well today again ministry and marriage I think I want to start out and and today what I'm going to do is I'm going to give five um words of exhortation uh, to those who are in marriage or excuse me in ministry who are married and uh, talk to you directly about how to uh, how how to do this and the first thing that I want to say though really to kind of give the backdrop to it is that your marriage is the most vital human relationship that you have Um, when you're in church work There are so many different people that vie for your attention and your affection and your heart. You know, your your ministry is going to be filled with all types of people that you love dearly. You know, for me, I I I love the pastors that I get a chance to serve with. I I love uh, the people that co-labor with me. Uh, I love our producer, Dan Reed, who's sitting over in the corner right now recording this. You know, these people are very meaningful to me in my life. And if I saw my 
caller ID ringing at nearly any time of the day with them on the other end or in the middle of the night, I would pick up that phone call because I want to help them. I want to bless them. They're very important to me. Um, We have people like this, of course, in our lives. And then as shepherds, uh, we are called to love and serve the flock, the body of Christ. Uh, But the thing that I want you to recognize at the very outset is that your marriage is the most vital of all human relationships. And the health of this relationship bleeds out into the health really of if you're in church leadership, especially if you're a pastor, uh, bleeds out into your pastoral work. Uh, I believe that it's impossible to completely and successfully compartmentalize this relationship. In other words, you cannot have an unhealthy marriage and expect that it's not going to impact the quality of your leadership, the quality of your preaching, and the quality of your ministry. Listen, gospel work is unlike so many other lines of work. I believe that it's possible for a CEO to compartmentalize a poor family life uh, in one category and then go to work and lead uh, and charge forward fairly well. Uh, in fact, in many inv- environments, uh, the uh, an unhealthy family life is almost required or encouraged so that corporate life can take uh, its proper place uh, in the shareholders' estimation. But in the body of Christ, in the church, uh, that's just not the way it is. Uh, How you're doing in your home, how you're doing in that vital relationship, how safe you feel there, how much fellowship you have there, how much romance is there will impact uh, your ministry. And uh, so often we become susceptible to things like anger or being short with people in the church or yielding to sexual temptation because our home life is not as it should be. We're not healthy in that spot. So it's just one of those places or relationships that's impossible to completely and successfully compartmentalize, nor do we want to. We want to have a healthy marriage because that blesses not just our spouse and not just us, but so many people around us, uh, including our church. All right, so the first thing that I want to say is I want to say, especially to the husbands who are pastors, I want to encourage you to set realistic expectations uh, with your wife, with your spouse. Set realistic expectations. You know, one of the things that um, I have tried to do with my wife is answer the question, what is a pastor's wife? This is just one, one way for us to set expectations uh, together. Uh, there's not a lot in the Bible uh, about this. Uh, Titus 1 verse 6, talking to uh, Titus about who to appoint into pastoral ministry, said uh, he needs to be the husband of one wife. So that's all the detail you're going to get out of Paul the Apostle to Titus. There's not a lot about what his wife is like, um, what her role is in the church. So this is something that 
a husband and wife are going to need to talk about. What is your level of involvement going to be in the ministry I'm engaged in? What is your responsibility in the ministry I'm engaged in? Are you a servant that I depend upon? You know, you're going to volunteer for everything. Are you going to stay home? Is this going to be something that you support in prayer? Are are you an integral part of our leadership team or are you off at a distance? What season of life are we in right now? What can I expect of you and what do you expect of me in the work of the ministry? Unfortunately, a lot of times a church planner will go out to plant a church and expect that his bride is going to be his de facto assistant pastor. And perhaps she doesn't have a heart to be involved in that way, and I don't think the Bible is asking her to be a pastor anyways. So asking the question, what do we expect of each other as we do the work of ministry together? Some couples love the idea of every single thing that we do, we do together. And listen, for me, there's certainly been times where it's powerful to have my bride sitting next to me as I'm giving counsel to somebody because her perspective is so different than mine and her emotional intelligence is so much higher than mine. She's just naturally in tune with what the other person is thinking and feeling in that particular moment. My mind is gravitating to the scripture and what the Bible says about this person's situation. Her mind though it is scriptural and saturated with the truth, is searching the person's heart to see where they are at. What questions are they really asking? And it's so helpful to do that together with her. But I haven't ever thought that everything we do is going to be together. I remember when I first became the pastor here at Calvary in Monterey. I was 29 years old, and so was Christina at that time. And she was, um, we had just had our third daughter. She was just a little baby and our oldest was four at that time. And so we had, uh, you know, a, a four-year-old, a, a two-year-old and a brand new baby. And, you know, uh, when you're in that stage of life, you're just hanging on for dear life. You know, you're, you're surviving each day. And, when I was introduced to the church as their pastor, they had a long experience of the lead pastor's wife running some sort of women's ministry. Now, I didn't personally even have a conviction that we had to have a classic women's ministry. Uh, they can be fine, but I just didn't see it as a mandate from scripture. Uh, but on top of that, I just knew that she was not in the time of life where she could devote herself to that. So I just shared with the church, listen, right now, Christina has her own women's ministry. It's these three little girls at our home. And uh, that's going to be the focus of her extra time and energy. It's going to go there. So setting realistic expectations uh, with your wife. Uh, and, you know, uh, if you're a wife with your husband, uh, especially, you know, I think it's it's great to ask the question, uh, like I said, of what a pastor's wife really is. You know, some people see the pastor's wife as a mother over everyone in the congregation. But what about when you're younger 
and you're not going to mother those that you have to speak up to in age. Uh, what if you're not that kind of forthright person who wants to you know, speak directly into the lives of so many people, but you like a more close one-on-one relationship? Will, will you fill that motherly role that perhaps you've seen modeled in other places? Some people think of the pastor's wife as the first lady, you know, kind of looking at the president of the United States as kind of a model, like there's the leader and then there's his wife uh, kind of thing. And uh, she's got her own causes and her own mission and her own team. Um, But, you know, if that ever causes marital or parental neglect, then that model should be rejected as well. I've already talked about the co-pastor model. Uh, where uh, they kind of labor side by side and there's the pastors of the church. I don't personally agree with that view. I think the biblical standard is clear that male pastoral leadership, it helps exemplify that though we are equal in God's sight, we serve different roles and functions in the family and in the church especially. Uh, So uh, there's that model though. There's the woman's pastor uh, where uh, the pastor's wife, thinks, well, I need to do what my husband does, but in a women's congregation. And so they've got their own little elder team and their own little worship team and their own little counseling team and their own little ministries that they do. Then you've got the strict homemaker view where she stays home, she's disconnected from the church, and she just does the focus on the household and uh, the children. Uh, But I believe that the view that should be taken is the passionate, gifted, and called woman of God view, where the pastor's wife is free to color outside the restrictive lines of church expectations and color within the beautiful lines of God's word. Let her be a godly woman who is gifted uniquely by the spirit to do what God has called her to do. And because of that case-by-case basis of how God has made us, And because of the different seasons that we go through in life, your life and ministry will look much different when you're 25 years old than it will when you're 65 years old. We have to be in, as spouses, constant communication, setting realistic expectations for what we're looking for from our spouse as we're doing ministry together. So I'd encourage you to talk about it. Talk about what your goals are. Talk about what your plans are, what you're hoping for in ministry. How would you like marriage and ministry to look and set a reasonable expectation? You know, if your church has a midweek service, for instance, and you're just quietly expecting that your spouse is going to be there every single week, but they're not expecting that, uh, that's something you got to talk about. So get it out on the table and set your level of expectation. A second thing that I would say is to develop a vision for your marriage. Develop a vision for your marriage. Now, a vision is important in any endeavor. You know, what are you shooting for? Where, where are you trying to go? What are you trying to accomplish? You know, we talk about this in the corporate world. Businesses want to, you know, have a target that they're shooting for. Our, our church, our vision statement is Jesus famous. Uh, As I said at the top of this episode, what we want to see happen in a person's life 
is all the stuff that happens at the front end of Paul's epistles. A deep appreciation for Christ and understanding their standing before God because of their simple faith in Jesus. As a result of that fame of Christ entering into their hearts, we expect that so much beautiful stuff is going to come out of their lives. But that is our vision of what we want to see occur in a person's life. I would rather, instead of holding uh, 29 different conferences throughout the year to try to hold up Okay, here's something for your marriage, here's something for your parenting, here's something for your finances, here's something for, and to just try to keep a person's life together, I would rather uh, get Jesus famous inside of them so that deep appreciation of Christ turns into a battery that drives them to say, how can I do my finances? How can I do my marriage? How can I do my parenting? How can I do my body life and being a good steward there? How can I do friendships? Christ is in me. I so appreciate what he has done and I want to see Christ formed within me. So having that vision is so important. Uh, But when it comes to marriage, the question is, what is the biblical vision for marriage? Well, Christina and I, we like to take it from Genesis 2.18. We've talked about this before. It says there in that verse that God said to Adam or said within himself, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And I think right there in that little line, before the fall in the perfection of the garden, you have a lot of great elements that make up what a good marriage is should look like and shoot for. Uh, First of all, it starts with God. It's founded on God. He's the originator, the creator. He's the one who had the idea of it in the first place. So this is something that should glorify God. So for Christina and I, we say in our marriage, we want to glorify God. But a second thing that you see is that they uh, were married so that they could form community together. He says it's not good that man should be alone. So marriage solves the alone problem to a degree in a man and woman's life. And so this is one form of human community. It's a deep, the deepest level of human community that can exist if done correctly. And so secondly, Christina and I say we want to glorify God and we want to form a deep community And then he says, I will make, God says, I will make a helper fit for him. And so for us, if marriage is meant to uh, be a help in, in the form of the other person helping you, then our desire is, okay, we want to glorify God. We want to form a deep community and we want to help the other person. And we just try to flesh that out throughout the various stages and the years of our lives together. So since we want to glorify God in our marriage, we're always encouraging each other to prioritize our devotional lives. We make space and time for that. It's not something that we neglect. It's something that we try to schedule and encourage each other in. Uh, If uh, time went by and I wasn't 
having time with the Lord, Christina would begin to notice and, and, and probably start praying for me and, and eventually wonder and ask, Hey, what's going on? I've noticed that you're not getting up as early as you used to. You're not spending time in the word. You're not spending time in prayer. And so what's happening? Uh, so glorifying God, forming a deep community means you've got to prioritize friendship and you've got to emphasize romance. You've got to take time with each other and then to help the other person. Uh, this would include supporting each other's ministries that, that we're involved in, initiatives that we're about, and communicating about each of our roles and, and embracing those roles. So developing a vision for your marriage with your spouse is really important when it comes to ministry and marriage. What, what is it that you're trying to accomplish um, unfortunately I've known pastors who it almost seems that their vision for marriage was that they would get a pastor's wife. Uh, it, it, it almost seems that they're so driven towards the things of the church and the things of their leadership role and the things of their position that their wife is like a, an appendix or an attachment or a uh, just a, a vestige, not, not an important part or a central part of their lives, but something that they felt they needed to have in order to, um, you know, enter into some level of maturity that would make them considered pastoral. And I would just encourage you to expunge that from your mind and develop a vision for your marriage not what your marriage can do, but what you want your marriage to be. This takes conversation. This takes honesty. This takes assessment. This takes vulnerability, but develop a vision. What are we trying to, to get out of this marriage? What does the Bible say we should be targeting when it comes to this marriage? Thanks for listening to the Jesus Famous Podcast. Before we return to today's episode, here's a brief word from Calvary Global Network about their church planter training program. The gospel is the hope of the world, and the world needs more gospel-centered churches. That's why Cultivate by CGN exists. I'm Clay Worrell, Executive Director of CGN, and I'm here with my friend, Pastor Nick Cady. We want to take a moment to let you know about the Cultivate Church Planter Training Program. Cultivate has created the infrastructure to support the planting of 1,000 new churches in the next decades, starting in 2023. We follow in the footsteps of renowned church planters in the Calvary Chapel movement, embracing and adopting their rich heritage of church planting in order to transmit our values, theology, and philosophy of ministry to this generation and for those to come. You know, as church planters ourselves, we understand that planting a church is not an easy task, but we believe it's an essential one. That's why we've created a range of resources to help you and your team prepare for the journey ahead. Our resources are personal, practical, and pastoral. Our program is from six to 24 months and is designed to equip you to lead a gospel-centered community wherever God has called you around the world. We also have a global team of mentors and coaches with thousands of hours of experience planting and pastoring churches, and they're ready to support you in the training phase, the launch phase, and in the post-launch phase of planting a church. With our guidance and support, you can feel confident in your ability to engage the world for Christ. Are you ready to answer the call of church planting? Together we can make a difference and bring the hope of the gospel to communities around the world. If you're ready to take the next 
steps and learn more about our church planting program, we invite you to visit our website at cultivatechurchplanting.com. Okay, a third thing that I would say to, uh, especially to pastors in ministry who are married, is you need a servant lead your household well. Um, This one has deep scriptural backing. When Paul described what the pastor must be in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 4 he said, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Uh, this is a, a, a leadership role, in other words, as a pastor. And so if a man doesn't know how to lead well, lead gently, lead as a servant within his own home, if he's ineffective at that there, then the home is training wheels for leading within the context of God's people, the church. So we've got to servant lead our households well. You you want to be a man who considers or manages your family at every stage and every season. You know, I've found that for me, my, my mind can be fairly occupied with where our church is at, the different stages or seasons that we're in. I'm, I'm thinking about it a lot. I'm, I'm praying for it a lot. I, my, my mind is there. My heart is there. I'm considering it quite often. You know, what are the next moves that we need to make? What are the next layers that we need to develop? What does the future look like? Where is this church going? How can I prepare it for the future? These are all questions that a good father is asking about his children. What stage are they in right now? What, what's lacking in their lives right now? How can I shore up their weaknesses? And how can I prepare them for the future? And when a man does this in his home, he is, if he's a pastor, preparing himself for doing that in the context of the church. You're considering where they're at and how to serve them. The same is true in your congregation. Where is the congregation at and how can I serve them? Uh, But your servant leadership in the home, it will impact the church. Here's a few examples of what I'm talking about. Um, part of servant leadership, I think, would mean that a man would consider his wife's perspective. You know, not just being one of these bully husbands who just kind of does whatever he wants to do and tortures his family, but, you know, is really sensitive to uh, his wife and his children. And if a man does that as a pastor, then what that probably means is that he's going to be more prone to doing that within the church, hearing people's needs, requests, desires. Now, obviously, as a pastor, you're going to get a new idea every single week from someone in the congregation. There's not a Sunday that goes by that someone doesn't say to me, hey, have you thought about doing this? Have we, how about we try this? I'd love to launch this or that. And, uh, you know, sometimes the ideas are good. Sometimes they're being met in other ways. Uh, But 
a pastor who listens to his wife will probably be more prone to at least considering where people are at and not just uh, cutting them off quickly. Uh, Another thing about a servant leader as a husband is that if they consider their strengths and their weaknesses in the home, then they'll probably be more willing to do this in the church. You know, if a, if, a, if a husband or if a father is willing to say, you know what, I'm, I think I'm, I'm not very consistent in my discipline or sometimes I'm unapproachable or um, I'm a little bit angry and my kids are a little bit intimidated by me in the, at the moment uh, or um, I tend to be, I'm not providing very well or, you know, different things like that. If he's considerate of that, then he's not going to walk into the church and think I've got it all together. No, he's going to be considerate of what his weaknesses are in the body of Christ as well. And uh, some of that's going to be his own personal design. And so he's going to have to shore that up with other pastors and leaders in his life who are better at those weaknesses, better at those things than he is. And some of them are uh, areas that God is going to want to sanctify him in and grow him in. So those are just a couple of examples about how servant leadership in the home will eventually impact the church. If a pastor considers the feelings of his family members, he's going to do this in the church. If a pastor pursues his children, he'll probably be better at pursuing the people that he's called to in the church. So leading uh, as a servant your household well. And I think on this front, I also want to encourage you not to think of your home as your vacation spot. Um, in, in other words, I'm serving in the church, it's hard work, and my home is meant to be the place where I kick my feet up and that's where I get my rest. Now, that's probably going to be, be true in a lot of ways. You know, as I'm recording this particular episode, I know that tonight I'm going to go home, I'm going to get a workout in, and then I've already purchased tickets for my wife and I and our two daughters who are still not away at college to go out and watch the newest Marvel movie that has come out. It's kind of a thing for the Holdridge family to do. We love to do it. It's going to be refreshing. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. But I think a lot of times we can get carried away with this vision of home as the place of pure rest, as if the people that are there are meant to serve us. No, when you go home, especially as a pastor, it's work time, man. It's time to pour into the family. It's time to pour into your wife. It's time to pour into your children. So though you might receive so much from your home and from those relationships, you've got to continue to maintain that servant leader perspective. Okay, a fourth thing that I would say regarding ministry and marriage to the pastors is that you need to honor your wife as church member number one. Honor your wife as church member number one. You know, the reality is, is that your wife will always be a member of the church that you serve. Um, And uh, if she's not, (laughs) there's probably something 
something off, something wrong. You know, she's, uh, if Christina ever came to me and said, you know, I've been looking at some other churches online and, uh, you know, I just, I, I feel like I've been at Calvary for a long time and it's time for me to look around. <laughs> I'd know that there were deeper issues, you know, at play. And uh, you need to honor her for that. You know, she, she can't choose, in a sense, another pastor. She can't choose another church. She's going to listen to all your sermons. I mean, just imagine, you know, uh, many people will come to your fellowship and maybe they'll be there for life, but lots of people will be there for three years or four years or five years. You'll be another voice that they listen to in the sum total of their Christian life. And, you know, you, you've got your emphases, you've got your hobby horses, you've got your things that you're focusing in on. And I know, I know you are declaring the whole counsel of God's word. But the reality is we all come at it from our own angle. And the truth of the matter is that, uh, well, others in your congregation are going to have opportunities over the course of time to sit in churches under pastors who are teaching a little bit differently than you, bringing out the nuance of the word in ways that you aren't, uh, your wife doesn't have that opportunity. Um, And on top of all that, she is privy to your actual growth over time. Not like so many in the congregation, your perceived growth over time, but your actual growth. And uh, she's always going to be on your team. So for those reasons, I encourage you to honor her as that number one first church member. Um, Always there, always faithful, and really with nowhere else to go. You got to honor her for that commitment and that position. And then the last thing I would say is number five, in ministry and marriage, especially to pastors, you need to love your wife. Uh, Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And let me wrap this up with some suggestions on how to love your wife well. I would encourage those pastors and male leaders in the church who are listening to this, I'd encourage you to be open-hearted with your wife. You know, Paul talked about this, didn't he? With churches like the Corinthian church, you know, my heart has been open to you, he would say to them. And I find a lot of times uh, there's, a, there's a tendency, at, at least in me and my heart, to be closed off from my wife, you know, to where... I find myself, here's kind of a a process I go through. When I find myself saying the same things with the same tone and the same emphases to her that I've said to another pastor on my pastoral team, then I know I'm not really going deep enough into what she as my wife needs to hear about. She doesn't just need information. She doesn't just need my perspective. She doesn't just need my insight or scriptural take on things. She needs to know my heart, my fears, my concerns, 
my worries. She needs to hear those things. I need to be open-hearted with her. Not angry, not, not in that way, but to gently share what's happening in the, in the deepest contours of who I am. Uh, some of you are going to have a hard time with this. And if you do, one thing I'd encourage you to do is to become a journaler. I am not always a journaler, uh, but right now I'm in that season. And one thing I've noticed, and, and what I mean by journaling is that classic, like writing out what you did the day before, how you felt about it, what you your reflections are about it. I'm always writing in a daily uh, devotional journal, different scriptures I've noticed, things like that. But I'm talking about that classic journaling of your life. And the reason I'm recommending it to those of you who have a hard time being open-hearted with your spouse is because um, you might not know what to even share in the first place. And I've discovered through the process of journaling that there are times where I, I begin to kind of get in tune a little bit with what's going on beneath the surface. And that's the kind of stuff I want to share with Christina. Another thing that I'd say about loving your wife is don't become self-absorbed. You know, if you're in ministry um, in, in any kind of public way at all, whether it's as a worship leader or as a pastor um, or in any other kind of role where people can look at you, um, it can become tempting to become self-absorbed. People will give you kudos People will praise you. People will think a certain way about you based on your platform performance and your platform demeanor. Don't buy it for a second. Uh, first of all, once you start believing your own press clippings, then that means you got to believe the negative press clippings as well. And it will decimate you when praise isn't what you receive but critique or uh, criticism. So don't rise and fall with what other people think of your on-stage presence or your in-the-lobby presence or your in-the-counseling-room presence or whatever. Um, and don't allow yourself to become so self-important. Well, I'm a pastor. I'm a leader. I'm in the church. I'm, I'm important in people's lives. Look, you, you know, the Bible teaches that if you desire the position of a pastor, you desire an honorable thing. That is true. Uh, but, you know, the Lord, his church is going to endure with you or without you. Don't let yourself become self-absorbed. It is so unattractive in your home and in your marriage and in your church. I'd say another way to love your wife is to give her your time. You know, a pastor's life, a minister's life is a busy life. And if you're not careful, your schedule can be totally overrun to where you're giving your wife or your family the absolute leftovers of your energy and of your schedule. And I'd encourage you not to do that. Put them in first. Uh, give the Lord the time he needs and give your family and your wife the time that they need. And while you're at it, I'd say also date your wife. Uh, for me, I've found that when I know 
that I will regularly have a time where I can face-to-face sit with my bride, talk about how we're doing, talk about life, spend time together. Uh, that, that has just been so helpful when we're in the most intense fires of ministry life. Like I could just get through these next few days, I'll come up for air and I'll be with Christina and we'll have a chance to talk and eat and just enjoy each other. Um, and, and, and so to have that, to know that it's coming, to see it on the calendar is uh, so valuable. Um, and then I think I'd also say you can love your wife by clarifying expectations about her to the church and encouraging her in her unique giftedness, as I talked about earlier. Tell the church what you can, what they can expect from her and encourage your wife steadily in the giftings that God has given to her. And then I would say another way to love your wife if you're a ministry person is to praise her privately and publicly. Um, I, I don't mean to say this in a way to where it's self-serving. I've heard some pastors praise their wives in a syrupy, sappy kind of way where, I don't know, I can't fully know another man's heart, but it just seems like what they're doing is talking in a way that will make the people in the church admire them. Oh, look at that guy with his good marriage and the way that he loves his wife. Don't do it for that reason. Uh, But praise her privately and then also praise her publicly from time to time because um, she needs to know that the people know how you feel about her. So again, those are just some exhortations that I wanted to give to especially pastors, uh, but those who are married and in ministry. Set realistic expectations, number one. Develop a vision for marriage, number two. Servant lead your household well, number three. Honor your wife as church member, number one, number four. And love your wife, number five. Thanks so much for listening to this special episode. I hope you guys liked it. God bless you and we'll see you next time.